1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg
1: experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. A uh, mixed uh, tape out there, as Greg was just reporting. we got the Fed coming up. I think it's going to be kind of important this Wednesday. To hear what we uh, you know see what we're going to get from our Federal Reserve and the markets are certainly paying attention as they are to earnings as we get into the real meat of earnings season this week. Rebecca Felton, senior market strategist for Riverfront Investment Group, Richmond, Virginia. She is a like myself an alumnus or alumnae alumni from the University of Richmond. And Matt, do you know what the University of Richmond mascot is? Um,
2: sorry, uh, University of Richmond mascot. It I don't know like a like a. Uh, Southern soldier,
1: spider, a spider. Oh, yeah, I should have known that. <laughs> right, should've Rebecca? That. Yeah, the spiders. The There's only one. other people out there. Yeah. We don't have to share a <laughs> mascot, do we, Rebecca? No, we do not. We do not. <laughs> All right, Rebecca, what are you telling your clients, uh, you know, as we kind of get into this earnings season, get it some more uh, color from the Federal Reserve? What are you telling your clients about these markets? We've had a little bit of a, a lift off the bottom, but I'm not sure what to make of it.
3: Well, thank
4: you all so much for, for having me this morning. We're a little more cautious than the last time that I spoke with you all. We've actually, uh, the only asset class that we are overweight right now in our balance strategies is cash because we are cautious. Um, at this juncture, you know, there's, this is a busy week with the FOMC, Durable Goods, GDP, and 170 companies or so are reporting earnings. So there's a lot to digest, and we think it's going to be volatile and potentially to the downside
2: it's interesting um so this meeting we all expect 75 right and the question is how far does the fed go and when if at any point do they turn around i heard steven englander on surveillance this morning say he thinks three percent is going to be the terminal rate and then they'll hold for five or six quarters which is an outlier forecast obviously but um we also quote vince reinhardt in our bloomberg story he thinks the fed's going to go over five percent um, and then uh, turn around at the end of 2023. What do you think, and, and how important is that, Rebecca?
4: Well, I think those expectations are, are very important as it relates to folks' forward you know, projections for what the market should be valued at. We believe that the Fed is going to keep their foot on the accelerator, given what their inflation target is. Um, we know that they are looking for a number of four or better in terms of four or lower. And here our last, CP, uh, or you know, the last print was 9%. So it, there's a long ways to go between nine and four. And, and we just don't see them uh, letting up on the tightening anytime soon.
1: Rebecca, you mentioned that uh, this is a busy, busy earnings week. we got some big tech companies as well as uh, General Motors uh, tomorrow that Matt pays close attention to because he's still waiting for his chevy i don't know pickup truck silverado silverado pickup truck whatever (laughs) what are you looking for rebecca from earnings here what are you and your teams really focusing on
4: well the headwinds that we are particularly looking at this week you know from big tech with almost 60 percent of their revenues coming from overseas We expect to hear a lot of worries about uh, the the strength of the dollar and how that's going to hit earnings. Uh, The inflationary pressures are still the big buzzwords. You're seeing more and more companies talk about layoffs hiring freezes, rescinding job offers. So there's a lot to be worried about in terms of what the tone is. Now, now earnings themselves have been coming in a little better than expected, but the energy sector still is the one that seems to be driving that top line headline number for earnings growth year over year. You have about six sectors in the S&P that are forecast to have lower year over year numbers than last. So that is problematic when you think about the fact that net net 2022 earnings are still pretty much where they were at the beginning of the year in that 8 to 10% range for consensus and we think that that is vulnerable at this point.
2: Yeah, too high. What what do you need mm-hmm. to see to get less cautious, Rebecca? I mean, in terms of earnings outlooks, in terms of valuations, in terms of the Federal Reserve, what what do you what kind of picture do you need to have before you can put more of that cash to use?
4: Well, we need um, the, the one thing that we need to go down is inflation, right? But some of the other economic indicators that have been falling, we'd like to see them stabilize, right? You're seeing the housing numbers start to turn over. Uh, some of the most recent employment week to week numbers, even though that unemployment rate has come down, we're seeing some of those unemployment numbers continuing to pick up. Um, so there's a lot that needs to stabilize to the good before we're going to get more, uh, more positive on our outlook for equities at this point.
1: Hey, Rebecca, when you and I were in the Robin School of Business at the University of Richmond, Dr. <laughs> Earl did not teach us that bonds could have double-digit declines in the first six months of a year. But here we are. Is that time to just say, I just got to buy credit here? I got to buy bonds? I got to go long?
4: Well, we have actually, for the first time in a while, increased our allocation to fixed income. We are more neutral there than we were, um, and we've kind of spread out the the allocations. We've got some treasuries. We've obviously got some investment grade, but we've added back some high yield because we think that it, it sort of pays to wait here, and we are not concerned at this juncture about you know credit quality and that sort of thing in terms of uh, defaults. So we, we've added back and we're neutral, and it is it is more attractive now than it's been in quite some time.
1: All right, Rebecca, good stuff as always. Uh, we always appreciate getting your perspective. Rebecca Felton, Senior Market Strategist. Riverfront Investment Group, and what river does it front? The James, the James. River. The James ah. River in Richmond, Virginia. And if you haven't been to Richmond, Matt, I have not. You need to go down. I, I would like to time. check it out. It's very cool, lots of history, lots of really nice people. I've never been to
2: Richmond. I've never been to Charlotte. Yeah, Charlottesville
1: been, is in Virginia. Charlottesville. And, and I've never been
2: to Chapel Hill. No, I'm just thinking you, of all these sort of southern, yep. supposedly beautiful places that I still have to check out. I've never been to Savannah.
1: Yep, another good one. Yeah. Charleston, all down there in our beautiful southeast. That was Rebecca Felton from Riverfront Investment Group.
5: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? at Bloomberg.com All
1: right, I'm looking at INGO, uh, the index browser on the Bloomberg terminal. Total corporate bond returns year-to-date, minus 12%. Just extraordinary. On the high-yield side, uh, minus 10.5% in the U.S. corporate. So a lot of work to be done there from our fixed income. Wait a second, so wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Global high yield. I'm US looking at a, high yield. a drop. U- I'm looking at U.S. Uh, corporate, U.S. Corporate okay, because yeah. I'm
2: seeing bigger drops globally. But
1: right, All right. Yeah. Bloomberg Markets today is brought to you by Commonwealth, supporting more than 2,000 independent financial advisors with the solutions they need to grow a thriving business. Commonwealth, go where you grow. Visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. So again, tough, tough sledding year to date in the fixed income markets. What are those folks doing here? How are they positioning themselves for the second half? Stephen O. Global Head. Of- of fixed income at Pinebridge investment joins us. Steven. Have you ever seen a first six months of a year like we had this year?
6: Well, it's certainly been an extraordinary year, not only in fixed income, but I would say across all asset class markets. Although in many respects, I don't know that it was completely unanticipated, but I think the magnitude has been surprising to everyone.
2: In what sense do you you think um, people expected this? Um, Maybe got on the right side of the trade?
6: Short. I, I think I think the expected component was the fact that if you go back to prior several years uh, post COVID, even pre COVID, you know, asset prices from the risk asset standpoint have been buoyed by uh, central bank liquidity uh, injection into financial markets, and so you know, unlike traditional cycles where if the key driving impact of asset prices is to push by central banks globally to uh, add liquidity into uh, the system. At some point, if the conditions existed whereby they would withdraw that liquidity, then you had conditions set up entering this year whereby you would get uh, both a sell-off in risk assets as well as in uh, risk-free government bond assets overall. So you you had synchronized to the downside as a reversal from what we had seen, which was synchronized to the upside. All right,
1: Stephen, we're going to hear from our Federal Reserve uh, this Tuesday. Uh, I'm sorry, this Wednesday, 2 p.m. Wall Street time. We'll get a press conference at 2.30. What do you expect to hear from your Federal Reserve?
6: You know, the Fed is not going to make any surprises, and I think the market is not focused on what they're going to do with uh, respect to rate hike. Uh, I think what the market is watching for is how is their tone potentially shifting in terms of the level of aggressiveness going forward, uh, and in particular whether there will be uh, much in the way of acknowledgement of recent data indications that appear to indicate that the uh, impact of the rate hikes is starting to filter through into a demand withdrawal and the rising risk of a uh, recessionary type of a scenario, which would pull back uh, their pace of rate hikes uh, overall. And and that's in part what's been driving the market to rally recently. Is sort of this uh, adage that uh, slightly bad news is good news because that would result in the Fed slowing down. So where
2: do you see the Fed um, stopping and turning around? Because it seems like Forecasts are all over the map, although the shape uh, that's generally expected is, you know, hitting the terminal rate at some point next year or at the end of this year and then coming down before 2024.
6: You know, there's sort of the near term. What do we think is the Fed is going to do in this cycle? And what do we think is the longer term policy path uh, that may diverge from this cycle uh, overall? And as you noted, there is a quite a divergent uh, set of predictions forward. And I think you cited there's some strategies that are talking about four or 5% type of level uh, of policy rates. Uh, we think that is a such an incredibly unlikely scenario. And in fact, if that scenario played out, you know, I would say the 10 year is going to trade below 2% because. Uh, I think there would be an expectation of a very, very hard landing, uh, which we're not going to get to overall. You know, our base case expectation is that the Fed is going to continue its path. But after this rate hike, uh, they are going to uh, throttle down uh, and toward a glide path towards Mm. somewhere in the uh, low 3% type of level. But that's for this cycle. Uh, and, And I think longer term, uh, the Fed is not going to be maintaining a average uh, neutral rate with a three-handle on it, but mm-hmm. we will be back okay. into the twos.
2: I will uh, say I was quoting Vin- Vince Reinhardt earlier. He thinks that the Fed is going to raise to 5% or higher and that unemployment um, could rise to 6%. Oh.
1: So that's he a pretty worrying like outlier to me. Yeah, probably. yeah. But that's nice to note, though. Stephen O, global head of fixed income at Pine Bridge Investments, uh, joining us. We appreciate that. Um, he got his undergrad from Wharton. That's pretty good. MBA from Northwestern. Everybody I know got their MBA from Northwestern. It's pretty darn smart. Stephen O kind of falls into that camp. <laughs> Speaking of Volkswagen,
2: this has been a story that has been blowing my mind all weekend long. Christoph Ralfall joins us out of uh, Frankfurt. He's the bureau chief um, for that office, and he's also my go-to guy. When it comes to Volkswagen, anything I want to know, I call you You're my it, go-to guy, so Christoph, he's your go-to he's guy? My, okay. He's the top guy, basically. Okay. Christoph is the man. Um, Christoph, when when I saw this news, I was on the subway heading heading downtown, and I almost fell off the bench— Um, I know that there's been a lot of uh, friction between Deese and the workers' unions and the state of Saxony, but that seems like that's what what you're supposed to have in that job, right? Um, What I didn't know was that he was failing at execution in terms of delivering software for important new products like the Porsche Macan, the electric version of the Macan. Is that what finally drove him out?
7: yeah hi well for, for, first, first of all, thanks very much for the very kind introduction matt that that's that's incredibly kind of you you you're totally right uh, that that story did come uh, on or broke on Friday evening pretty much out of the blue uh friday evening european time uh we We knew there have been quite a bit of friction about like how the, the, the how the, the, the way how he runs the company they have been facing uh software issues uh for, for, for a number of months or, already, but we weren't quite aware that these problems would create so much internal unease, basically, within the group that, would, that he would actually uh, be pushed out, because that's essentially what happened. Basically, the key stakeholders decided we need a fresh start under a new leadership, and therefore, Mr. Deese, who has been credited with Volkswagen's strategic realignment towards electric uh, mobility, was effectively uh, yeah, ousted. So let's talk about
2: what this means for the company, because you have, over the past few years, done such incredible reporting on what Herbert Diess was building there. Investments planned of more than $90 billion to change this internal combustion uh, car maker into an electric sort of software engine um, and battery maker. Is that gonna continue? Is that gonna go forward or is his successor, Oliver Bluma going to have to put together a whole new plan.
7: No, I think we can definitely expect that the strategic direction will continue. They will basically uh, stick to their uh, goals to sell far more uh, fully and partly electric vehicles in in coming years. They are building six battery cell factories in Europe alone plus uh, looking for a partner to build a battery cell factory for the U.S. factory uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and other projects in China. Uh, so it's it's basically a pretty wide range of different initiatives and investment programs. Those we can expect to remain unchanged. What will change, though, I think is uh, there's going to be a much stronger focus and, and, and uh, sort of like a, an improvement in terms of like tracking the operational progress of these individual efforts rather than saying, uh we need to do this well, uh we decide uh, on like the strategic direction but then sort of like not following up and making sure that these that these projects actually come to life on the assembler line or in the respective factory uh,
2: is it basically i'm i'm assuming that some porsche and piche family members were like damn it he's not delivering the macan all right let's take the ceo of porsche oliver bluma and put him in charge of the whole thing then he'll produce an electric macan is that the
7: idea yeah the 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 problem there was that basically under the new structure that these has uh initiated Porsche was sort of dependent on a centralized uh initiative to develop uh car software for all all different brands within volkswagen group which included and still includes uh Porsche and that i think was was one big point of criticism that uh to sort of like take the autonomy to develop their individual software away from the brands and expect that one unified uh, division within the company can serve all the individual brands. That did not work Mm. out. You mentioned the fully electric Macan, which is being delayed. Audi cars are delayed. Volkswagen cars face uh, delays. And that's something that they can't afford going forward. And I think that's basically why they decided to make a change in the leadership uh, position.
1: Right. Christoph, I'm reading some of the reports coming out of Wall Street on this news. Bernstein's saying, and I think they're kind of mixed generally speaking. Bernstein saying Volkswagen is making a bad governance situation even worse. What do they mean by that?
7: Yeah, as, as you know, uh, Volkswagen has been uh, planning to do a um, uh, an IPO, a partial listing of the Porsche sports car brand uh, on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange in the fourth quarter uh, this year. So the goal to go ahead with this plan was basically to give Porsche more autonomy within the Volkswagen group. Now, that, that, that's a slightly different or complicated narrative to deliver when, in fact, the guy who runs Porsche will, going forward, also run <laughs> the mothership. Uh, that That's probably need some more explaining to do so that all the analysts and investors actually get on board. And at the moment, because I mean the development is still pretty fresh. It was decided on Friday. Uh, took many people by surprise, including some of the supervisory board members. But that's definitely something that they need to iron out and, and explain to external investors as well.
2: Yeah, why would you want to buy Porsche shares if the guy's going to be distracted by also running Volkswagen, Bentley And they still of that thing, right? Ducati, Seat, wow. Skoda uh, you know, it goes on and on and on. Um, and they have—I I thought four hundred thousand employees. They have six hundred and sixty-eight thousand people working there. Christoph, that's way too many. Can they reduce headcount?
7: Uh, that's. Has been uh, traditionally very difficult for a company like Volkswagen. They've actually added more headcount rather than cutting it down. Uh, they've done more sort of components and parts uh, in-house than some of the other car parts make, uh, car makers who have like outsourced some of the manufacturing to car parts suppliers. Uh, Volkswagen does a lot of a lot of things and oper- a lot of operations in-house. But of course, from a headcount perspective, it's 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 a very very big company and they will definitely right. need to streamline some of the operations, especially in the whole like combustion engine world.
1: All right, Christoph, thank you. You're the go-to person on Volkswagen, and so says Matt Miller, and I thought he was the go-to person, so you must really be the go-to person. We appreciate getting your thoughts, Christoph Ravold, Bureau Chief, Frankfurt and Munich.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
1: Anna Wong, chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, you've got an inflation call. You guys at Bloomberg Economics. I'm going to blame you as an entire group. Uh, you've got a high inflation outlook. Talk to us about how you're thinking about inflation.
3: Right. So, um, you know, and for for forecast this year, we usually use a bottom-up approach where we look at, at the price trajectory of cars and uh, clothes and housing rents. Um, and using that approach, it will tell us that um inflation cpi headline will likely be hovering around eight percent or, or slightly more than that um until october this year so um really? and then looking forward to next year then it's harder for everybody um right because we it's hard to know what's going to happen to oil price or even car prices next year and then we use a model based based approach then um you know one of the problems of inflation forecasting is that there's a lot of uncertainty over it particularly since the pandemic and even the the way that the fed look, uh, fed looks at it they they consider this risk to inflation right so our model takes into account this uncertainty and this risk and we forecast basically the entire um, distribution, like, what is likely going to happen? Instead of asking, what is the inflation rate going to be next year? We ask, what is going to be the likely distribution of inflation rate next year? And using as input oil prices, unemployment rate, federal funds rate, we forecast the F, uh, distribution, and that is telling us that the chance of inflation falling below 4% is very, very slim, slim to minimal. Given but most importantly, what, Anna, yeah.
2: because I have a bet yeah. with pretty good uh, that last month's headline CPI print was the peak. Am I going to win that bet, or will we see anything higher than 9.1% in the next couple months?
3: Well, you know, this is an interesting thing. If you look at the mean forecast right now for headline CPI, it looks like that's the peak. You you seem to have won. But if you look at the distribution of risk, and think about the past year, where have the surprises tend to be? Is it So what we see is that uh, the monthly inflation rate in the next two months has to be perfect, meaning that it cannot be lower than uh, where the consensus is there. cannot be more shocks, supply shocks. If that's the case, then you, you you are winning the bet. But if not, we could easily see another peak uh, around uh, August or September.
1: What do you expect from the Federal Reserve this weekend?
3: We expect 75 bits, but um, if – Again, the Fed has switched to a risk management way of looking at the world, and that's what our inflation model, uh, you know, modeling the entire distribution of inflation, would suggest that yeah, it's likely that 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 the the peak has arrived. But you just given the kind of risk that and an uncertainty we have seen over the past years, just not wise to assume that that baseline would be the sure thing.
2: So, will they give us? Will Jay Powell? Give us any hint as to what's coming? I mean, 75 bips is what everybody expects for this meeting. The important thing is what happens at the next meeting.
3: He will, I think he will stay on the message, which is that. Uh, the Fed will be data-dependent, data, in, uh, data dependent, um, and th- there seems to be some progress on the inflation front. We are seeing commodity prices coming down, but we cannot assume that that is for sure going to happen and that the Fed will continue to tighten until he sees a string of um, inflation decelerating reports.
2: We do have at least two months, though, or about two months until the meeting after, right? Because they skip August. August. Okay. Um that's intelligent, by the way. Everyone in the world should be that civilized. Yes. And then they don't come back for a meeting until September, I think, 20th or 21st. Um, will they have a clearer picture? By the way, that, then, then they don't come back until November. Will they have a clearer picture by September, you think, of, of the inflation risk? Yeah,
3: so there will be two CPI report before the September meeting. There will also be two jobs report before that meeting. And one of those CPI report will be weak because we know the July print is going to be soft. So then it depends on whether the August print would be, um, you know, Uh, would be soft as well. And it seems like based on the behavior of commodity prices and where, you know, the, 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 the economy is cooling really rapidly, there's a good chance that August would be, you know, not like 1% monthly run rate rather would be around points, you know, five or 0.4, even monthly rate. Um, So I I think that you have a good chance of winning your bet. But I but I, I still think that anything could happen. And, and, you know, what if we have a hurricane again, because uh, assuming that because uh, the hurricane season usually begins late in the summer in the U.S. And uh, if you get a refinery.
2: Uh, well, sorry, sorry. I was well, just I, quoting
3: well, uh, the weather people are actually expecting a very active season, hurricane season this year. And if you have a refinery plant hit by another hurricane in August, yeah. then I would say, um, yeah, all bets are off on yeah Map
1: prices. go is when you need that. You Map need, go. Yeah, and see where the refineries are, in, you know, coming hurricanes. All right. Anna Wong, Chief U.S. Economist, uh, Bloomberg Economics.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter
1: at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PTSweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
5: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage.